You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Man, it's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And by the house of the Lord, I don't mean this building, but I mean to be amongst the people of God who are worshiping God in this location. What a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, A few things before we get started. Uh, Before we get started, as we look out across the national landscape and we think about what's really happening in evangelicalism, I just want to take a second and say thank you to Pastor Brandon for being a good pastor. You can clap for that. The dude not only can take a text and help you see it in a new light, but he's an actual shepherd and an actual pastor. And I'm thankful for that dude today, man. Big ups to Brandon, as we would say. My man, thousand grand. Next, immediately after service, uh, there's going to be a little celebration in the Student Life Center um, celebrating my man, thousand grand, Dan Clancy. I, I, call him, I call him Yancey. That's my guy. He may not be in the room right now, but I've called him Yancey since I've known him. And when I think of Dan, what I think of is being 22 years old and being told to do a VBS in Southeast Canton. And I'm from a neighborhood that's like Southeast Canton, but I'm not from Canton. And as you all know, Canton is a very insider, prideful type of town. So I was commissioned to do a VBS with some students down there. And we planned the whole VBS. We passed out flyers. And the first day, three kids came. So Dan was my boss at that time. So Dan rolled down to see what was going on. And Dan came in, and he seen that there was three kids there. And Dan looks at me, and he goes, OK. He goes, we're going to get some vans. We're going to get some popsicles. And we're going to go out and invite the whole neighborhood meet you here at 8, p- at 8 a.m. tomorrow. So I said, okay. And Dan showed up with a cooler full of popsicles. And Dan told me and the students to go out and pass out the popsicles. As he told us to go out and pass out the popsicles, he went out by himself. And Dan knocked on every door in that housing development. And Dan told people that if you come to this VBS, you can get some food, you can have some fun, but you can learn about our faith. And by the Friday of that week, there was over 100 kids at that VBS. And we were standing sharing the goodness of Jesus with over 100 kids. When I think of Dan Clancy, I think of that. So man, if you see him today, give that man a big hug. He has served the kingdom for longer than I've been alive. So man, if you see that guy, give him a a big hug, give him a high five, and man, he enjoys Chick-fil-A. Give him five bucks, too. (laughs) Amen. Give him five bucks. He enjoys that comfort food. Okay, with that, we've got we've to dive in this morning. I took up a few of my minutes there, but here we go. So, if you have your Bibles, we've been in a series in 1 John, and we're going to continue that this morning. We're going to continue that this morning. So, if you have your Bibles and or electronic devices, 
Would you please turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to zero in on verses 7 through 14. We're going to zero in on verses 7 through 14 in 1 John. And when you get that, if you would, please stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. Let's stand for God's word. The word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us the Spirit. And if we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is God's word, and this is true. And this is good news, church. You can be seated. So, last year we took a philosophical plunge as a church, as a staff team, into being co-vocational or bivocational. So co-vocational or bivocational, whatever you want to call it. So me and our worship leader and another member became, we went out and got other jobs, right? So we now are pastors at our church and we have other jobs. So my co-vocation is that I am a teacher at a local Christian school. I teach Bible classes there. It's a, it's a pretty good co-vocation for me. Moving boxes wouldn't go that well for me. I'm not like a box-moving dude. I, I wish I was sometimes. My wife wishes I was. I know she does. But I teach Bible at a local Christian high school. So last year I taught Old Testament and I taught New Testament. So the whole Bible, right, in one year. And this year I'm teaching theology to 11th graders. It's really fun. I like it a ton. This morning, I am going to slide between Pastor James and Mr. Talbert. So in a few weeks, I'm going to go back to school, and people are going to call me Mr. Talbert. And it's going to be really strange. That's, that's really strange to me. But this morning, I'm going to slide between the two. Is that all right, everybody? All right, I'm going to slide between the two this morning a little bit. You'll probably know when I'm going into Pastor James, because I'm, I might yell. I'll probably get a little elevated. I might jump a little bit. And Teacher James is going to use a few words, but I'll explain those. I'll explain what those means. Good? Good. So, welcome to Mr. Talbert's class. In the first month of whatever class I teach, we talk about one particular topic. And I take the whole class and I tell them, hey, like, put your notes away and please just listen. And I start writing on the whiteboard. And when I write really big on the whiteboard, if I had one right here, I'd write it. The dangers of casual reading. The dangers of casual reading. And I tell them that's our lesson for today. That's our lesson for today. I don't want you to take any notes. I just want you to listen. 
there is deep danger in casual reading, right? The reality is, this is God's word, and this is true. That's just not something that we say, but that's something that we believe, and it's something that we mean. Why do we believe it? Because it's confirmed within Scripture. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 teaches us that all Scripture is God-breathed, that it's inspired by God, and that it's profitable for us in a plethora of different ways. What that means is this Scripture that we read is the sovereign exhale of God. It's God-breathed. And because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, It, in our day, and in our dispensation, is the primary means by which we formulate belief. The scriptures. Right? So I stop them and I say, look, the danger in casual reading is, if we casually read, we can miss the riches of what God is trying to communicate to us. Why is casual reading dangerous? Casual reading is dangerous. And then I go into my whole diagram that I draw for him, right? I call it a hermeneutical bridge that I draw for him, right? And I tell him, hey, on this side of the bridge, there's you. And on this side of the bridge, there's the scriptures. And the reality is, there is a lot of space between you and the scriptures. There's this whole valley, actually, with water at the bottom between you and the scriptures. And then they say, what are you talking about, Mr. Talbert? And I say, hey. The scriptures were written over 2,000 years ago. They were written in three different languages that you don't speak. There's cultural and historical context that go into this that we just aren't privy to as 21st century Americans. And then they say, well, what do you mean more? And I say, hey, when we read casually, what we can do is we can take our personal experience and read it into the text. Casual reading is bad. Because that will cause us to bring ourselves into the text to interpret it rather than to let the text interpret our personal experience. Casual reading is dangerous. And then at the end, we get to a point where I write really big on the whiteboard. It's most dangerous because casual reading can lead us to casual living. Casual reading can lead us to casual living. And the reality of why we read the scripture is to point us closer to Jesus. The great reformer Martin Luther says that the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. What he means there is that the Bible contains the authorized story of Jesus. And as we read it, it moves us closer and closer to the person of Jesus. Casual reading can lead to casual living. And when we read the scripture properly, right, what it does is it helps us to believe properly. In church, when we believe properly, we behave properly. When we believe properly, we behave properly. There's the sermon. I believe that in 1 John, chapter 4, what is being communicated in this whole chapter, if we boiled it down to its most common denominator, 
John, Pastor John, is trying to communicate to the church there in Ephesus that we must believe rightly because our behavior follows our belief. Our behavior follows our belief. Quick story. I have a four-year-old daughter. She's about to go to preschool. I, I can't believe it at all. But my four-year-old daughter loves Disney movies. She absolutely, positively loves Disney movies. Because she loves Disney movies, she really, like, gives herself fully to Disney. She's like a disciple of Disney right now. We're working on it. Pray for us. She always, at some point on in the day, I'm positive right now that she has on an Elsa dress because it's Sunday and that's her fancy dress. We have to like tell her not to put on the, the blonde wig to go to church, but like that is her, that's her fancy dress. So she has on her Ice Princess Elsa dress. Now, Jada loves Frozen. Jada believes in Frozen. And because of that, sometimes we're out in public and we see her doing this. I'm, I, I wish I was kidding you. We're out in public, and she's just going like this. And uh, what are you doing? She's like, I'm drawing with ice. What she believes in guides her behavior. And what we believe in guides our behavior as well. Last week, Pastor Brandon talked about 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And what he talked about was beautiful, what it means for us to see Jesus, Right? And he gave us these ways that we can see Jesus more clearly in an out-of-focus world. These verses, Pastor John is telling his church, hey, there are some people who are trying to convince you that Jesus is not God incarnate, that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And what Pastor John is telling the church at Ephesus there is, hey, do not believe them. You must believe properly. This is a foundational part of what we believe as Christians. So he's telling them to not believe this important part is to not believe anything. What he's saying is you must believe this. This is right belief. Anyone who doesn't believe this, he calls them an antichrist. And he says the spirit of the antichrist is amongst those who are trying to distort clear biblical belief. Jesus Christ is God incarnate, wrapped up in flesh, who was born of the Virgin Mary and lived the life we couldn't and died the death we should have and rose on the third day with all power. This is Christian belief. And John says, anyone who doesn't believe that, they're antichrist and the spirit of the antichrist is among them. So he corrects their belief in verses one through six. But in chapter 4, verses 7, through conclusion, what he's going to do is he's going to say, hey, believe rightly. But this belief in Jesus should change the way that you behave. It should change the way that you behave. And the reality for many of us is that the believe part we've got, we've got the believe part. Because we've got blogs, and we've got commentaries, and we've got Bible studies, and we've got ABS, and we come here, and we sit in this room, and we consume good teaching about Jesus and about belief. But what John is saying here 
is that it's not only about what you believe, it's about how you behave. And if what you're believing is not changing how you behave, then maybe you're not believing rightly. And he gets into it. And what he's going to say over and over again, it's really circular, but it's beautiful. What he's going to say over and over again and simple here is this. The way that we show that our belief is real is by the love that we have for one another. What he's saying here is that we show the very metaphysics of God. We're going to get there. We show the very existence of God through the love that we have one for another. Let's dive in here. Verses 7 and 8. They read this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love these are strong words. Let us not cheapen them. What he's saying here is, hey, the behavior that shows that we have right belief is the fact that we love one another. And then he goes on, he doubles down, and he says, check this out. If you do not know love, if you are not loving one another, then you don't know God because God is love. Goodness gracious. God is love. I'm going to go back to class for a second. Everyone turn to your neighbor. Repeat after me. Turn to your neighbor. Look at him. Say hi. Say what up. Turn to your neighbor real quick. Just, just repeat after me. Uh, say, say perichoresis. One more time, like you mean it with a little conviction, David. I see you, buddy. Uh, Perichoresis. God is love. The church fathers believed in this term called perichoresis, right? And when they say perichoresis, what they believed is that God, who is three in one, the three persons of God, the Trinity, eternally existed before creation in this eternal dance, right? They're eternally in this dance. And what is this dance made up of? This dance is made up of love, joy, and peace. And they believe that the very act of creation was the act of enlarging this perichoresis, was inviting all of creation in to the mutual love, mutual peace, mutual joy, into this beautiful dance that makes up the Trinity or the triune God. This is the great perichoresis. I promise I'm going somewhere. Now, they didn't only believe this because they came up with it. They believed it because they deeply and intently studied the scriptures. And when you study the creation of all things, what you get is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved across the face of the water. Then God said, let's stop there. In the ancient Near East, water 
was synonymous with chaos. The ancients believed that the water was something that they could not control. They believed that it was some sort of demigod in and of itself. Because when they got on boats or when they went in the water, if it began to storm, it was done for them. And they believed that when it stormed, that the god of the sea was upset with them, but water equaled chaos. It equaled something that they knew they could not control. Right? In other ancient Near Eastern texts, such as the Egyptian hieroglyphs, and such as the Enuma Elish, these texts start off with violence, they start off with war, and they start off with the water being something that cannot be controlled. But in the biblical text, in the Hebrew text, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God moved across the face of the water. And then God said, and as God speaks, the worlds are framed, and the chaos, which is the water, is controlled. This is the God that we serve. He's the God that in peace and love is controlling the chaos of all things. And even though we decided as humans who are the pinnacle of creation, created in God's image, even though we decided to turn away from God and to go our own way and to do our own thing, God, seeing the chaos of our sins, and when we were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, God, in the person of Jesus, through love, lifted us. He is controlling the chaos of all things. God is love. He is love. From Genesis, when he creates in peace and love, to Genesis 3, when we sin, and God says, where are you? Still in that moment, inviting them back into right relationship with him. Throughout the Old Testament, when we continue to go the way of the world, he sends Jesus in the New Testament. When we continue to walk away and try to do our own thing, he sends the Holy Spirit to convict us so that we can repent and believe. And in Revelation, we find that one day he is coming back to right all wrongs and wipe all tears from our eyes and eliminate and abolish evil forever. God is love. God is love. He is love. And we show the love of God in our love for one another. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Praise God. I believe in verses 9 and 10, what we get here from John the pastor is a nice little layout on love. What we get from John the pastor, I believe, are his nice five points here on love. 
So if he was preaching to us today, I believe he would give us his five points on love from these two verses. We start in verse 9, and before anything, we find that God's love was made manifest. God's love was made manifest, right? So God doesn't only say that he loves us, but God shows that he loves us. And how does he show that he loves us? Through what's talked about in verses 1 through 6 in chapter 4. Through the incarnation. Through Jesus. God's love is made manifest among us. Now, I see some of my my seasoned saints out here. So don't laugh at me when I use this analogy, seasoned saints. But I've been married for five years now. Right? Long time in my young life. Right? Been married for five years. Now, I can send my wife a text message that says, I love you, right? When we get off the phone, we say, I love you before I left this morning. I love you. I'll see you later. I can say I love you as much as I want to. But what it means for me to love my wife is for me to do the dishes. Now, we have a dishwasher. I don't know why we have a dishwasher, because she just... She's just old school that way. Like, she's like, the dishes are in the sink. Let's just wash them. Let's load the dishwasher. <laughs> but what it means for me to love my wife is to wash the dishes. If I am not washing the dishes, if I am not cutting the grass, if I am not being a part and doing my part in our household chores, then I am not loving my Love is a verb, everyone. We can say we love someone or we can say we love something as much as we want, but love is a verb. Love is something that we do. And God shows his love for us in that Jesus is made manifest. He doesn't only say, I love you. He doesn't only say, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. What does he actually do? Gives him a son. He doesn't only say, Moses, I see the oppression that is happening to your people. What does he do? He redeems them. He doesn't only say, church, I see you in your sin. What does he do? He sends Jesus. And for us, love is not only something we should say, but love is something that we should show. Next, in verse 9, We see that God sent his own son. This is a decision that God made. Love is an act of will. Love is an act of a will. God sent his only son into the world. His only son. One more time. God sent his only son into the world. It's an act of will. God chose to send his son. The reality for us is that we must choose to love. We must make a conscious choice to love. As humans, we are born into sin and shaped into iniquity because of what Adam and Eve did. It is not our natural predisposition to love. Our natural predisposition is self-preservation and to be selfish. Here we find God making a conscious choice to love us and sending his son. And for us to love, we must make a conscious choice and a conscious decision.
to love. Next, love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. It says that he gave his only son. Love is sacrificial. Love costs us something. It costs us something. And if it doesn't, it's probably not love. We talked about the perichoresis, that eternal dance. What the incarnation does is the incarnation of Jesus takes that second person of the Trinity, wraps him in flesh, and puts him on earth. Philippians 2 teaches us that Jesus counted equality with God a thing not to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. You guys catching this? There was sacrifice for our good. And when we seek the highest good of the people we love, sacrifice is a part of it. Sacrifice is a part of it. Next, in verse 10. Verse 10, I love it. It's one of my favorite parts. Love loves that which is deemed unlovable. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. King James Version, that he first loved us. The reality is, as I just stated, it's not our natural predisposition to love God. And God's love for us is not reciprocal or hinging upon our love for him. Jesus went to the cross for us because he loves us. And the reality is, even though we're dressed real nice today, if we opened up the door to our heart, what's in there is a bunch of stuff that's busted and disgusted. Jeremiah teaches us that our hearts are deceitful and evil above all things. Right? Even though we can take a nice filtered picture and put it on social media, even though we can look real nice and say the right things in our ABF, the reality of our hearts are that they are seared in sin. But God sees us and doesn't deem us unlovable, but he chooses to love us. In church, that which we deem unlovable, we are called to love as well. We are called to love as well. And check this out. We live in a cultural moment where we feel like we have the right to deem things and people as unlovable. People who may believe different about us than the, about the pandemic. People who have different political leanings than us. People who have different social leanings than us. In this polarized cultural moment, we've said, you know what? I am allowed to hate them. I am allowed to despise them. I am allowed to mock them. I am allowed to make fun of them. But what the scripture is teaching us here is that we are not. The scripture is teaching us that we are not. Church, we are called to a higher calling. The kingdom of God is distinctly different than the kingdom of this world. And the, dare I say it, pledge of allegiance of the kingdom of God can be found in Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. We are called to love that which society, that which we feel like we have the ability to deem unlovable. We are called to love. We are called to love. And lastly, love addresses sin. Love addresses sin. Uh Uh-oh. God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent Jesus to take care of sin on the cross. God sent Jesus to the cross to take all of our sins upon himself and to die a gruesome and horrible death and to be buried in the ground. And praise God, our sins were buried with him and he rose from the dead with all power. Praise God. Love addresses sin. As we move on in the next two verses, we thank God for the spirit of God that's going to be mentioned here in the next few verses because the spirit of God is how sin is primarily addressed in our hearts. We are convicted by the Holy Spirit of the ways that we are not living in the light of Jesus. My question for you this morning is, are you answering that conviction? Are we repenting? Because 1 John chapter 1 so beautifully teaches us that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, there's forgiveness of sins when we repent. And that's good news, church. What are we doing with that? It addresses sin. But not only on a personal level, but on a communal level. Church, if we're just meeting and talking about what Greek words mean in the Bible and eating coffee cakes, which I love, by the way, I fool with coffee cakes. But if that's all we're doing as we exist in community and we're not calling each other out on our sins, we've missed, church. We've missed. There's this college student from the University of Akron. I wish he could be here with us today. He joined our DNA group about six months ago. So in, in my DNA group, that's like our small men's group, there's about, there's about five of us. Uh, one guy is like in med school. Like we all like just have like jobs and kids and lots of stuff going on. He's a college student, right? He might, he's 20 maybe. And he joined our group and he like hadn't said much. Hadn't said much in months. We just somehow found ourselves on this tirade where we were making fun of this Facebook status. So someone posted this Facebook status, and we just found ourselves, like, our whole group time, for, like, the 40 minutes up until that point we had been together, we're just making fun of this Facebook post. Like, we're laughing, we're having a good time. And he's sitting there, and he, like, he, like, singled us out, like, me and the other guy. And he looks at us, and he goes... Don't we talk about love all the time? Aren't we called to love that person? Why don't we pray for them? They don't believe what we believe. And I understand that we're all hurt by what they said. But Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for them. 
And I go, yikes, man. Thanks for pastoring us in this moment. We stopped and we prayed. That was one of the most deepest, most deeply Christian moments of community that I've ever experienced. Because he called us on what we were doing. How much more like Jesus would we look if we called each other on sin? And we're able to still be brothers and sisters afterwards. Last but not least, verses 11 through 14, quickly here, before we go into communion. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. All right? We don't see the wind. You can't see it. But you know that the wind exists because you feel it. And you also know that the wind exists because you can feel its gentle breeze, but you can also feel its sheer and destructive force. We know the wind exists even though we can't see it. What John is saying here is that no one has seen God. No one has seen God. But what he is contending is that our love for one another, just like the wind, is something that the folks around us should feel. It's something that the folks around us should feel. And in them feeling the love of God and our love for one another, it should point them to the fact that God exists. That God exists. Here's the takeaway, church. Go do it. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I've been watching the Olympics because I think I'm getting old. I've been watching like all the Olympic games. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let me put on my flag shorts and watch the Olympics, right? So I've been watching the Olympics. And when I was watching the Olympics, I heard one of the commentators say that the swimmer had unconscious competence. So what that means is that he's not thinking about what he's doing. He's just swimming. He swam so much that he's gotten to a point that he is an unconscious competent. And what he said was, it takes talent plus practice to become an unconscious competent. So he said that there are some people who are physically gifted enough to just go ahead and get in the water. But he said what makes an Olympian is that they put in over 10,000 hours of practice. Check this out, church. You've been given something that's way better than talent. You've been given a gift that dwarfs talent, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Now will we practice that? Will we practice it at home with our families? Loving, choosing to love. Will we practice that at our jobs? Will we practice that in the church? Because goodness, what would happen, right, to the lost people around us if love to us became an unconscious competent? I think we see revival.
Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.